I'm going to read to you a couple of verses that have really grabbed my attention and arrested my soul these last few days, really a couple of weeks. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8, he says, the priests do not say, where is the Lord? And the scholars of Torah do not know me. And the shepherds, he means the political leaders, the shepherds sin against me, and the prophets prophesy by Baal, and they walk after things that do no good. It's verse 8. I'm going to read it again. Just let it sink in a little bit. Now, prophet, or excuse me, uh, priests kind of led their worship in their context. The Torah scholars, the people that really studied, and then, of course, the shepherds, the leaders of the government, and the prophets, these are all the leadership of Israel. So read verse 8 again and just kind of put yourself in their world for a moment. The priests do not ask, where is the Lord? And the scholars of Torah don't know me. And the shepherds sin against me, and the prophets prophesy by Baal, and they walk after things that do not avail. One more time, and then we'll read verse 13. The priests do not ask, where is my name? Where is the Lord? And the scholars of Torah do not know me. And the shepherds sin against me, and the prophets prophesy by Baal and go after things that do not help, do not avail. Then verse 13. Because two evils my people have done against me. They've abandoned springs of living water to hew out their own sister, for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns which do not hold water. Verse 13 again. Because there are two evils my people have done against me. They've abandoned springs of living water to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which do not hold water. Our society is spiritually diseased. We in Christ's church are impacted as well. If we're to live as disciples, two things have to happen. We've got to return to spiritual wholeness, and we have to have tools to help other people do the same thing. So I want you to listen with two parts of your brain this morning. First of all, certainly listen for yourself. But secondly, listen for those that you're in connection with, friends, relatives, people in your small group or home group, people you're involved with helping mentor. So listen for yourself, but listen for others. How can we help people do the same? What, first of all, I want to examine, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching for about five minutes, all right, and then we'll go into a more standard sermon. First of all, a little teaching. Uh, look at the path to spiritual deception, and we're just going to walk through Jeremiah chapter 2, help you just see the big picture, and then we'll back out and look for some principles to uh, help this work out. 
in our lives, all right? So uh, chapter two, verse 11. Oh, I should say, first of all, that the reason we're doing this is that uh, Jeremiah chapter two is kind of the greatest hits of Jeremiah. This is, they took a bunch of his sayings and uh, many teachings, and they put them in one book to introduce you to Jeremiah's thought. And so we're being introduced to the theology of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter two. And so we're going to look at that quickly. So chapter two, verse 11, he says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory, meaning the Lord, for worthless idols. So verse 11 they're exchanging God's glory for a tamer God, an idol that can be controlled. Also in verse 27, we have, they say to wood, you are my father, and to stone you gave me birth. They've turned their backs on me, to me, and not their faces, yet when they're in trouble, they say, come and save us. So this idea that idolatry is the idea that uh, you can manipulate an idol, you can make it do what you want, and so an idol is a tamer God than Yahweh. Then verse 13, we already read, uh, but the broken cisterns they're choosing. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So this is the seeking other sources for spiritual strength. So what's the road to deception? First of all, you exchange God's glory for a tamer God. Then you start seeking other sources. Then this, verse 25, this leads to addictive behavior. And so verse 25, do not run into your feet are bare and your throat is dry, but you said it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them, right? They're at a place where they can't even break the cycle of idolatry if they wanted to. It's what we call addiction, right? They are addicted to this. And so this leads to classic addicted behavior. Verse 25, I must do this. And of course, we see this loss of self-control is rampant in our society, right? All kinds of compulsive addictive behaviors. Secondly, addictive behavior, verse 27, uh, I call it emergency prayers, right? They say to wood, you're my father's stone. You gave me birth. They've turned their backs on me, not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us, right? So their whole life, they're pushing God away. But when things really hit the fan, then it's like, oh, God, please save me. I mean, I did this, right? I remember I was trying really hard. This is in my teen years. I didn't plan on saying this, but anyway, sometimes people like a little window into what I was like. <laughs> uh, so in my teen years, I was, if, if you've never used drugs, you don't understand this, but actually trying to get high marijuana, you have to build up a bit of tolerance in your body, and then these certain things aren't happening. Anyway, I was trying really hard and never worked, and then finally, they must have given me something laced with another drug, and oh my gosh, I was terrified. And I'm sitting in the park having a paranoid reaction. And I said, the emergency prayer, right? God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. That was a lie. Uh, God got me out of it. And, you know, there was still more to the story. But anyway, you get the idea that the emergency prayer, oh God, oh God. But yet there's been disobedience and rejection. The third uh, classic addictive behavior thing, chapter three, verses four and five. Here's what they say. Have you not just called to me, my father, my friend from my youth, Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? So they're trying to appeal to his grace. This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. And so these, again, these prayers that are given in the emergency, blaming God for no answer. So how can they say this? How they can say this is they're self-deceived 
about God and goodness. And this is very, very sobering. I'll try to just paint this very briefly. But one of the things that concerns me in not only our society at large, but the body of Christ, is we are really losing a moral compass. We're losing a sense of goodness and what that's about, and we're very deceived. So see if any of this resonates. In chapter 2, verses 31 to 35, he paints the picture. Uh, You of this generation, verse 31, consider the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say, we're free to roam, we will come to you no more? Like, we got what we want. We don't need God. No responsibility to seek God. Verse 32, does a maiden forget her jewelry or a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. So both of those verses, they feel no responsibility to seek God. Uh, Verse 33, they pursue other gods. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn your ways. That's a metaphor for the, the idols, the foreign gods. And then verse 34 On your clothes, men find the lifeblood of innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. In spite of all this, you say, I'm innocent. He's not angry with me. So they pursued idols, as we see frequently in the prophets. Idolatry has not just affected their spiritual lives, but it's impacted their their, uh, horizontal lives, and social injustice takes place. But then... Uh, verse 35, all that's happening, and they say, but I'm innocent. Now, it's different, but consider in some ways how parallel this is to our society. We choose spiritualities, sometimes even in the church, that are focused on changing our surroundings rather than changing us. Very similar to idolatry. The essence of paganism is to try to manipulate the deity. And we sometimes pray that way. Choosing other sources rather than uh, the Lord for our strength, broken cisterns, entertainment, relaxing, we call it, sexuality in unhealthy ways, thinking that we'll find life. The result is a society that is addicted to not only sexual compulsion, but overwork, We are hyper-anxious. Some have suggested that even anxiety can be understood as an addiction. We're driven. There's little peace, and yet we are sure that we are not to blame. You know, if you want to see this kind of a hokey illustration, but it struck me, if you've ever, anybody read the old Anne of Green Gables books or seen the movies? Okay, you know, I know I'm a guy, I shouldn't admit it, but I I have, you know, at a certain point I read them all. But but what's striking when you read that book or other books really from that era is Anne is really focused on her character flaws and improving her character. Does it ring a bell with anybody, right? When's the last time you bought a book published after 2000 that's concerned with improving your character? But that was whether the author was a Christian or not. That was the fruit of a Christian society that said that one of the goals in life is to become a better person. Wow. Well, we feel like if there's flaws in us, whose fault is it? Certainly not ours, right? Yeah. So where is the path to spiritual wholeness? Well, let's go back to verse 8, 
verse 11 and verse 13. We'll read them and we'll talk about them. Verse 8, the priests do not say, where is the Lord? And the Torah scholars don't know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Verse 11, has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they're not gods at all? But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. And then finally, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So Lord, we ask as we look at your word that you would open our hearts, our minds, and touch our will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we need to return to wholeness, but how do we do it? Jeremiah gives us several steps to return to wholeness. The first step to wholeness is to return to God to change your heart. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, first of all. They've exchanged God's glory for idols, and of course, as we've said, the reason is these idols promise to meet a need. In Israel's case, uh, crops, animals, and fruit, fertility gods and goddesses, so we trust other things to give us joy in life, even as believers. So how's it working? Some of you are going, no, it's not working, right. So just like Israel, when we try these other things, it doesn't work. Verse 13, the analogy is clear. Our spirits need the springs of water of God's spirit, but we go to other things. So let's just say this. And we will explore this around an illustration for sexuality because I think it's easy to see, but it can apply to anything in your life. So first of all, every desire in the human soul is God-given. None of them are evil of themselves, right? Hunger, uh, food, sexuality, the desire to achieve, these are all good desires. They're not wrong in themselves. The temptation is to fulfill that desire in some way that shortcuts or short circuits or moves outside God's will your own cistern, and the irony here is that that cistern can never really work. This is precisely why it produces addiction. So let's think about it. Just do a little mental experiment, and especially those who are married, this will make sense, but take it on faith for those who are not or never been married. There's a profound, profound core human desire, we're all aware of our sexual desire, to bond physically, spiritually, and emotionally in a holistic bond with another human being of the opposite sex. And when that happens, there is a profound satisfaction in in marriage, uh, in a healthy marriage, that desire is met holistically in the context of mutual trust and care and affection and and the soul, the, the, the heart, deep communion in the moments of intimacy and beyond, it's like, yes, this is, you know, this is what I was hungering for. But, and here's where addiction comes from. The addictive nature of lust is that when that desire is attempted to be met in some other way, there's a momentary pleasure, but that deep thirst is not met. And so I got to try something else and I got to do it again. And if it's pornography, I got to look at another picture and a different, more variety, and pretty soon, but because that spiritual need is never met, it's hunger, 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 and pretty soon the scratch is worse than the desire, right? That's the addictive nature of any human desire, but I think sexuality illustrates it profoundly. 
And so an old song from my era says, I can't get no satisfaction, right? We tease Mick Jagger. But it's, it's a reality that when you approach sexuality that way, it's exactly right. It doesn't work. And that's what produces addictive behavior. So it could be food. It could be money. It could be pride. That's just an example. The issue is we need living water, not broken wells. And I know probably the vast majority of people in this room are believers in Jesus Christ. And it's so easy to try to reduce this to some formula. So, you know, the evangelicals will say, just, you know, come to know Jesus, it'll all be better. The Pentecostals say, just get filled with the Spirit, I'll be better. No, this is, this is a lifestyle thing. And so I, I hold out to you the possibility, the probability that all of us at some point and maybe many of us even today right now in this room are thirsty. And that's okay. God gives you thirst and hunger. And you've been trying to fill that with something else. Or worse yet, you're not thirsty because you've been going to broken cisterns and it's temporarily satisfying and your spirit is dulled. And so we're going to encourage you this morning to really face that, look at that, and receive prayer. But especially look at verse 8. Where is the Lord? Priestly ministry, it was different in the Old Covenant, of course. They had animal sacrifices. A lot of things were different. But the, the thread we can take out of this is worship. Priestly ministry then and now is designed to bring people into God's presence. And so they were in a situation where they are, got their little sacrificial habits and their worship, and no one's asking, where is God in this? Appreciate Sarah and other worship leaders because I know that it's not, just a, it's not just a worship gig, right? It's not just a chance to do music, right? It's a chance to personally connect with the Lord and lead others into the, the desperate. We could sing all the right songs, but where is God? So I, I say worship leadership is sort of like priestly ministry, but let me tell you, this is all of us because Sarah can do everything she wants standing up here and encourage us and be filled with God and yearning. And if we are not responding to the Lord, she can't take us anywhere. So really, this is all of us. This is priestly ministry. We gently but soberly ask, would you in your own prayer and worship life be saying, Lord, where are you in my life? Would you reveal yourself in my life and the lives around us? Would you work in my soul? And when a critical mass of us do that, it is spiritually nuclear on a Sunday morning. Yes. And that's all that revival is, really. I'm not a big revival preacher, but that, that's all that revival is, is, is a, a group of people in a church or a city or an area saying, we want God more than we want other things. Where is the Lord? Is that your heart cry? Where is the Lord in my life? Lots of good things in my life, but where is the Lord? So the first issue Jeremiah deals with is heart. That hunger to seek the Lord. Where is the Lord in our lives? The first step to wholeness is to return to God in our hearts. Second step to wholeness is of the mind, returning to truth. Uh, verse 8 really captured me. I kind of laid it heavily on some of our budding scholars earlier this week. 
The scholars of Torah would be a literal translation. The scholars of Torah don't know me. That is bad. You can look in uh, the history of the churches in the United States specifically. And when the seminaries and the administration of a denomination lose touch with Christ, often it's a fast road to uh, a club. Now, there's a few denominations that have turned that around. There's a battle right now in some denominations. I won't mention God bless them and may they win the battle for spiritual life. But I want to say to our future scholars and current Bible scholars, we've got some pretty high-level uh, textual critic in the church as well. The church of Jesus Christ needs you to know God. C.S. Lewis said to scholars, I believe it was at Oxford earlier in his career, educated Christians, that'd be college-educated Christians, virtually everyone in this room, have a responsibility to read their Bible and think and look at the culture and think and address the deceptions in the culture for the sake of their less educated brethren. Now, in sojourn, that's just about everybody. So not just, you know, Mitch and Evan and Grace and the guys and gals, right, in that category, but it's really all of us virtually have had a privilege of quite an education, and we have a responsibility to think hard at a university church. In addition, Sojourn as a university church, it is not enough for us simply to proclaim the truth. We must teach and address the process of truth. So I encourage you to avail yourself of, Amy will teach classes on, out of the Biblical Literacy Project. I teach classes on exegesis, James and others, church history. We are trying to equip you to think carefully about the Bible and grow your relationship to the God at the same time. So too often in charismatic circles, we've got a lot of passion and not a lot of thinking, and we are devoted at Sojourn to both, right? We want the power of the Spirit to flow in everyone's life, but we want your brain to have caught up and be thinking and to be able to articulate what you know. And so it's not enough for me to teach you the truth. See what I'm saying? It's that you can go to a home group or maybe you're going to be a professor and you can take that and you can explain not only what the truth is, but why it's important. And so I encourage you, love God with your mind. Jeremiah himself said the problem is the scholars don't know God. So use your mind but man, no God. I won't point him out because I didn't ask permission, but uh, one of the young men that's really studying hard and you know, got kind of a real academic track still said to me, but I, but I want to be able to minister to people. I was like, yes. Yes, amen. Right? It's, it's about truth on fire that's practical. So the other thing about being a university church, it's okay to ask hard questions. People have asked me lots of questions. You know, do you think everyone's going to be saved eventually? All kinds of big questions. I love it. Ask them. 
right? We are not afraid of any question in this church about life, theology, sexuality, any. We're not afraid of any question. There's a place for it. We'll sit down, we'll talk, maybe a small group, maybe one-on-one. We'll talk about any question. And I'll just tell you that once you really see the biblical answer, the Christian view of reality, you will never fear falling off an intellectual cliff. And so once you know that, now those that don't live in a scholarly realm, you're like, well, whatever. But some of you do, and you understand what I'm saying, and you can feel the pressure and the seduction that not all biblical scholars even believe the Bible, right? And you're reading these commentaries and going, what in the world's going on? Uh, Ava had a real response to one article she had to read for a class. You know, wow, what's this? You know, the instructor was deliberately trying to provoke the students. Don't worry uh, about North Central. But anyway, the idea is that, you know, there's really challenging people. Uh, we need to, uh, you, can, you can start anywhere. Culture, art, music, and you will always come back to the center of the gospel. So don't fear. But also, verse 8, prophetic ministry is mentioned. For us, prophetic ministry is desperately needed, both words up front and prayer ministry. But the crucial issue is it must be biblical revelation in line with the Bible. It must not be worthless. Prophecy is discredited when we focus on temporary things, money, uh, you know, we believe in God for miracles, but even miracles and healings can be overdone. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, prophecy is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Prophetic ministry should strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And so prophecy should impact people with conviction, yes, but then they should say, yes, I'm ready to run for God. That should be the impact. So a critical spirit, you know, you're the reason God didn't move, that's the opposite spirit of New Testament prophetic ministry. So conviction of sin, yes. Crushing of spirit, no. We have to understand the right use of prophetic ministry so that we can really see it operate powerfully. We need truth. We need to love God with our mind. We need both teaching and prophetic ministry that establishes us in the truth. So second step to wholeness is to return to truth. Final step to wholeness is to return to obedience. Again, verse 8 uh, their shepherds or their, let's see, the NIV says, uh, the leaders rebelled against me. Right? They sinned against me. These are the shepherds. And, you know, Jesus, when he's looking for ministry, you may recall in Matthew 9, he says, I, he looked out and he saw that people were like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, you know what? Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. Because the tragedy is that it's not very flattering, but most of us are like sheep. Now think about it. There's a trend in society. You know, those of you that are under 35, you've seen trends sweep through the internet, right? And everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this person's evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. This thing's bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? There's just, they sweep through society because we're like sheep. And so, sure, Jesus is a shepherd, but he says, pray for shepherds in real life. Pray for the people that will lead others toward me. The areas of obedience, don't trust, trust God, not the world's powers, love the poor, embrace our need for change. So we've talked about the heart and the mind, now we're talking about obedience. Think about this, the heart. A faith that lives by feelings alone can weep, but never touches the real needs of the world, focused on my emotional experience. 
I confess to you that as one with mystic tendencies, this can be my danger, right? Hallelujah. Things are great with me and Jesus. Yeah, so what? That's not enough. The mind. Faith that is right thought and belief. Well, that's great. I don't like heresy. But right thought and belief alone never gets the hands dirty in the real problems of sin, addiction, and relationship. And this is the danger to scholars and thinkers. Faith finds fruition in obedience that starts right now. Not after the service is over, not later this week, but right now. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Do his will. The final step to wholeness is a return to obedience. So I think you've seen now, Jeremiah's program of reform is a holistic approach to transformation. We need wholeness of soul by returning to God, his truth, and following in obedience. Returning to God is a matter of the heart, true worship from the heart. It is crucial. Returning to truth is a matter of the mind, godly thinking. Returning to obedience is a matter of the will, choices made in faith. What does this mean for us? I'm inviting us this morning to choose to hunger for God. To choose to be hungry for him. Lord, I'm desperate. To study and search out his truth. To know God's will in these days. And then to obey for yourself and to equip others in a life of obedience. Are you desperate today for a deeper connection to God and his spirit? I am going to invite you to come to prayer in a few minutes here. We're going to have prayer for a lot of things because I don't feel like it's one of these times to really, you know, have somebody be publicly um, exposed. But I will say this. Among other needs, if there is addictive, sinful patterns, I'm going to ask you to receive prayer discreetly this morning. I really think the church of Jesus Christ has to begin to address these things with grace and truth and to see transformation. So let's just bow our heads and pray. So Father, we thank you. The cross of Jesus Christ brings complete forgiveness for sin, cleansing, restoration. So that if we will bring to you our areas of struggle and failure, we're cleansed in the process of transformation. But you also offer hope that we don't have to remain stuck. So, Father, I pray for those that are dealing with addiction, that there would be a step today, transformation. For others, there's just a hunger. Where is the Lord? We're hungry. And we ask that you'd help us to put aside any broken cisterns, and in the weeks ahead, to really be connecting and devoted to walking with you, that we would know you, not just from what we heard from someone else, but we'd know you for ourselves.
just for a moment, every head bowed, every eye closed, I will ask uh, those that would say, I do want prayer uh, at some point today related to addictive behavior. Just raise your hand quickly and put it back down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You can put it back down. Yep. Okay. So Lord, in Jesus' name, we are praying for a breaking of patterns and a rediscovering of the springs of living water in whatever area it may be. And I pray for springs of living water to refresh souls this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.